0: Hello and thanks for downloading, streaming, tuning in, whatever you're doing. This is beyond busy. This is the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, defining happiness and success, and all those big questions. My name is Graham Alcott. I'm your host for the show. And on this episode, I'm talking to Rob Wilson. Rob is the chief toaster slash CEO of Toast Ale. Toast Ale, you may have seen it on the shelves of Tesco's and Waitrose and various other places and also on the beer taps of many pubs across the country. Toast Ale is made from bread. It is a social enterprise. All the profits go back into sustainable food charities and other such organisations. Fantastic uh, organisation and also fantastic beer as well, as you're going to hear. So we we tuck into some beers during this episode. We're in Brighton for this one. Um, And also Rob and I go back a long way. So Rob was the young director of a charity called Reed International, and I was the fairly young chair of trustees of that charity. So we worked really closely together over a number of years. You're going to hear the story a little bit as well uh, during the episode of kind of how we met and, and how we worked together and stuff like that. Uh, you're also going to hear some of Rob's thoughts on work-life balance, on parenthood, on you know the whole uh, endeavour of moving from somebody's idea to making it a big reality. And uh, Rob is someone whose work I really admire uh, have done for a number of years. And uh to be honest, I can't quite work out why it's taken so long to get him on the podcast, but here we are. So this is us. Uh, Robert turned up as he often is these days. He's carrying around a little sort of cool bag filled with really delicious toast ale. So this is probably the first, maybe the last uh, podcast where I'm actively drinking all the way through. So um yeah, we. Uh, I was like, do you want a cup of tea? And he's like, should we have some beers? <laughs> so, like, uh, beer one um, and uh, we had a really nice time once we turned the recording off and just kind of got slowly drunk in the, uh, the boudoir room at Platform 9 in Brighton which is uh, where we start this uh, episode. So let's get into it, this is my conversation with Rob Wilson. We're rolling, I'm here with Rob Wilson, how you doing?
1: very very good enjoying a beautiful view of brighton on a sunny afternoon
0: yeah and we're in platform nine we're in the boudoir room um overlooking the sea it's been a bit kind of i don't know what london was like today have you had all that rain and mist it and stuff?
1: was wet this morning and yeah beautiful afternoon i feel like i've ventured down to the seaside on a summer holiday yeah,
0: <laughs> so yeah. it's, nice. it's one of those where because you're just Coming down on the train just to see me and then going straight back. Yeah, so I originally
1: had hoped, but typical of the thing we're talking about today, uh, had hoped that I would come down, you and I would knock back a few pints in Brighton this evening and then realised that, yeah, there's actually then two events that I'm attending in London tonight that have come up since, um, saying I would uh, come down here and, uh, yeah, so
0: but yeah I imagine it must be like it must feel a little bit cruel coming to Brighton seeing the sea from this distance but knowing they cannot actually, <laughs> actually get to I was actually down here last,
1: for... week, last weekend I was came down to Brighton oh, nice. uh, so yeah yeah Nicky uh, myself Thomas and Matty um, came down with my old man actually uh, my dad um, came with us and uh, we uh, we used it as a opportunity to give him his birthday present and just fish and chips on the beach with his family that's his kind nice. of ideal yeah, birthday yeah.
0: present so it was lovely um we in brighton we call that the dfls right so people who come down from london <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. weekend and it's like we have uh this beautiful beach and this beautiful city to ourselves for kind of nine months of the year and then for yeah. three months it just gets kind of invaded yeah sorry and sorry, we start sorry. getting uh, very annoyed we came, at no, of we you guys. came across from <laughs> kent we didn't
1: come down from london we came across from kent
0: um but yeah but, yeah. but you get the thing um so let's talk about toasts. yes um, so yep. you are the chief toaster
1: I am for my sins.
0: Yes, um, and Toast is just a really interesting company, and I think very much. When you told me you were involved, because we've known each other a long time, when you told me about Toast and it being your new thing, I was like, "That is so Rob! Like <laughs> it's just <laughs> such, such a yeah, an obvious thing to uh, kind of picture you doing." So. Um, yeah, tell us what being the chief toaster of Toast Ale involves.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. Like i, and I do absolutely love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Toast. Um, this will sound probably a bit salesy, but you know we're um, we're basically on a on a mission to prove that the alternative to food waste is freaking delicious uh, <laughs> and pint sized. So we brew our beer oh very delicious beer i think we should crack open one should we open one now um absolutely yeah. would you like a pale ale a lager or an american pale
0: ale i think i'll go for the pale ale yeah one choice there
1: you Thank go you. sir i'm going to crack open the american one
0: nice so middle of the afternoon Yep. Midweek. Absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> this is, this is, is this your life? Is this basically every day? It's yeah, like you yeah. go around and you talk to people about beer and you just well, drink, no, we do, we, we, drink we, in the day. We
1: do have to um, obviously quality taste,
0: uh, <laughs> genuinely quality
1: taste all the beers we produce. And so, um, yeah, when I come home on an afternoon uh, to get sort of race back for bath time, bedtime for the kids, um, and Nikki will be like, Have you been drinking? I'm like, I promise you, I've literally tasted like half a beer. I've not been drinking. Um, So yeah, so we're brewing our beer uh, using yesterday's bread uh, from bakeries, uh, partnering up with sandwich manufacturers uh, to tackle bread waste. And then we pour 100% of our profits into environmental charities. One main charity called Feedback uh, that's fighting food waste. Um, And yeah, we think we're the best thing since you know what,
0: (laughs) is what we uh, we like to say. you, you do love a pun as well that's like we are is, is the pun thing a toast ale thing or is it a Rob Wilson thing I think it's you
1: it's Isn't actually it? um I would say it's actually more <laughs> one of um it's probably more the team so um and I, I feel can like of,
0: every email I have with you there's a pun back <laughs> yeah. right? it's like so we pun, um, pun pun down
1: yeah it's definitely something we love as a team it's funny we're just going through a rebrand at the moment and whenever we speak to these branding agencies you can imagine like a brand agency in kind of soho or something they freaking hate the puns (laughs) They're,
0: they're all too
1: cool for school and the idea of us coming up with like red puns and food waste puns and beer puns and charity puns they're just you can see them rolling their eyes every single time but it's such an important part of our authentic um Character, brand, and personality. Uh, so yeah, it's a funny one to balance.
0: Yeah, and to and to keep reminding people that the beer is made from bread because I'm tasting this and this tastes just like a really damn good pale ale.
1: Yeah, so that and it's is... got
0: bread in it. So yeah, where, I think when you first told me about it, in fact, I think you first gave me a bottle of this, and it was before it was in. Now it's in like Tesco's and Waitrose and places, but like it's before I'd seen it anyway Yeah, 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 and. I've got a bit I was a little bit like I'm going to try this but this yeah. might be awful yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, do, it doesn't taste any different to no normal bread. Hope, so tell us about how that works
1: yeah ho- and hopefully better um, so um, we so I guess we built the business on four like core principles and I should I should talk about the whole, how the whole thing started so it's not my idea uh, I cannot claim uh, this genius idea uh, it is in fact an idea that is thousands of years old because the first ever beer that was brewed Uh, About four and a half thousand years ago, the earliest recipe we can find had bread as an ingredient. And so for millennia, uh, beer was brewed using bread and local bakeries and local breweries in a village would just partner up uh, and you Mm. would use bread to replace some of the grain bill um that is You've obviously this kind of
0: circular economy thing of, yeah you
1: know. and that's obviously no longer normal in inverted commas yeah. uh, and we're trying to bring that back into the mainstream and it was a friend of mine tristram uh, tristram stewart who's a food waste campaigner and activist and someone i knew through ashoka an organization that i was very involved with um and um yeah he uh founded a, a environmental food waste charity called feedback uh, campaigning to end food waste and he had this genius idea after trying a beer in Brussels that, would, that had been brewed with surplus bread, um, brewed by an amazing brewery called the Brussels Beer Project. And, um, yeah, he kind of came back and just said, Rob, like, I'm going to start a beer company. Do you want to get involved? We're going to get wasted on waste. And I was just like, everything about this is so good. Yes, Tristram, yes. And I was supposed to be giving him advice um, because I was with a Shoker at the time and it's a support network for social enterprises and uh, yeah, my, my shameless advice to Tristram was basically I think you should do it and I think I should be the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: my advice to you is hire yeah. me. Can no, we no. come to yeah. some kind
1: of agreement? Um, as I started off just offering uh, genuinely <clears throat> just as an advisor for the first few months and uh, Louisa and Julie who are still in the team now um, got the whole thing started um, and I think a lot of the bread puns really came from Julie and Louisa's personality actually right, okay. to begin with yeah. uh, they're brilliant characters who have kind of driven a lot of the uh, the brand and personality of uh, of the beer, and then after six months, um, I uh, i dived in. But yeah, so in terms of the, the the bread side of it, it's I mean first and foremost, like quality, tasty, looks good, presents well. The whole point is, yeah, if you want a beer, it's got to serve the purpose of being a delicious beer. Um, you don't necessarily want a, you know. Uh, cuddly purpose-driven experience you want a beer and if that has purpose and some kind of value behind it it becomes a no-brainer yeah yeah that that's the one you would buy and when Um, you
0: first when it first launched it was you know very much alongside that sort of craft beer kind of world. so like your initial audience was quite a discerning you know, group of punters really, yep. rather than just people who are just going into Tesco and just buying cans off the shelf. Kind
1: of. Yeah. I think it was just the perfect, like perfect place, perfect time. Uh, thankfully, food waste awareness is becoming a thing um, and has really started breaking through into the mainstream. So um, the food industry wastes about 1 billion tons of food every single year. Um, and about a third of the food that we produce in the world goes to waste uh, the food A third system.
0: Third of the food that we produce in the world yeah, goes to waste. waste. Yeah. Wow.
1: And the food industry, the food system, has by far the biggest impact on the planet and is by far yeah. the biggest contributor towards climate change. Because people think of the energy industry or the transportation industry or deforestation, kind of in isolation, as causes yeah, of yeah. climate change but obviously it's the food industry that causes most of the deforestation on the planet um, for our cattle ranches or our palm uh, estates. Um, and then you've also got um, you know, the food industry using the transportation system and the energy industry. And when one third goes to waste, it becomes for like, us at Toast and anyone that's involved in our world a complete no-brainer that that's where you should focus your energy when it comes to tackling climate change it's such a tangible concept to grasp as well yeah. like yeah. surely and just something that resonates with everyone uh, that if we're being so inefficient that we're wasting a third of what we're producing let's like tackle that i doubt we'll get to a stage where it's perfect but if you chip away at that and get that wastage down to five yeah. percent, um, yeah, it's going to be a massive. It's going to make a massive impact. And then the worst offender, so that the worst offender is the humble loaf of bread. So forty-four percent of the bread that's baked in the UK goes to waste. And so yeah, when we realised that you could brew frickin' tasty beer uh, using surplus bread, it was like
0: ah oh, yeah, let's yeah, do that and let's try
1: to shake up the whole beer industry and see how we can uh, yeah change things.
0: So forty four percent of bread in the UK are going to waste. So presumably a lot of that is to do. So I guess there's two things. One is bread is inherently a limited shelf life thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I suppose the second thing is all those sandwiches that gets that get made. Yeah. You're losing what ten percent off each yeah, loaf. Yeah. 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 Just by like slicing the ends and whatever, and that yep. that's immediately just waste. Yep. Before it even hits the shelf. Totally.
1: And we love our sandwiches in the UK. Us Brits really love our sandwiches. And so, yeah, those pre-pack sandwiches, um, there's somebody paid at the start of every single sandwich production line in the country, of which there are hundreds and hundreds that are churning out sandwiches 24-7. And somebody is paid at the start of each line just to pick off the crusts. Right. They'll often pick off the next slice as well if the sort of loaf is dipping a little bit at the end. Um and so you just end up with this crazy wastage and it's day fresh bread that will otherwise end up often just going straight to landfill. Um at best it might be used for animal feed, um, but often does just end up going to landfill. Um and yeah, if we can just access this day fresh bread, divert it to the brewery to replace one-third is what we do. We replace one-third of the malted barley that you would otherwise use in the brewing process. Um yeah, and, and obviously like, I guess, you know, as you can testify, uh makes a very tasty beer. Um and uh and yeah, obviously like lends a, also lends a, a really delicious flavor and character to the beer as well. Um all of the wheat in the uh in the bread actually bring a real character to the beer in a positive way. So um yeah, it's um it's it's kind of a no brainer, but we realise that we're only scratching the surface. At the moment. So, we've brewed about one and a half million slices of bread (laughs) that would have otherwise gone to waste. But there are billions of slices going to waste. Our kind of big, hairy goal is to get to a billion slices of bread. Um, And to get there, (coughs) we know we need to change the whole industry. And so, we've open sourced our recipe, um, and that's been downloaded about 55,000
0: times. Uh, and how sort of easy is that if I was just going to download that? What do I need in my house to be able to brew mm. your recipes? Yes,
1: yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. Um, I mean, to brew beer, you're kind of talking about... So when we're brewing in the brewery, it's effectively big saucepans that you're using. Right. Uh, so you're kind of heating up. Um, you're, it's like making a porridge almost the first stage of the process, but a very wet porridge. Yeah. So you're uh, extracting all the sugars and... Um, largely the sugars and the flavours out of the malted barley and the bread in the first process, and you're just boiling up the barley and the bread, uh, breaking down all the sugars, uh, letting all the enzymes work their magic. Uh, You then move the liquid, leaving the sort of stodge uh, in the... uh, um, It's called a mash tun, but in a saucepan, if you're brewing it at home, um, you would move just the liquid. By this point, it's uh, really sugary, sweet, quite flavoursome, malty liquid um, over to another kind of container, uh, another saucepan. Um, You can add hops at this stage. And if you add hops and bring them to the boil, hops will release quite a bitter flavour. So when you boil hops, that's when you have quite a bitter flavour. If you add the hops a little bit later and don't boil them, that's when you get some of the more fruity, tropical, citrusy, Uh, passion fruit kind of flavors that come out of some craft beers um but then yeah and then ultimately you add um uh you bring in sort of another container add your yeast leave it for a couple of weeks and you kind of have beer and it's sort of that simple um so uh yeah definitely uh, would recommend um yeah anyone just goes and downloads the recipe that's kind of where we would love people to start go to their local bakery um find the surplus bread and get involved
0: nice and um, and you so you're you're sort of uh giving us there the sort of the science lesson and the geekery Yeah, sorry in, you know, sorry sorry.
1: i probably went into but it.
0: like you uh <laughs> i mean that isn't isn't a thing that you knew much about like no. three four years ago like no honestly. no no i so i was uh,
1: a... i was a home brewer uh, but not a super geeky one or anything yeah. just home brewed um normally twice a year um once just for fun around christmas time and then also for like a boys' weekend um, <laughs> with a bunch of uni mates right. um, in the spring, where I always get absolutely like taken the piss out of because I'm I make terrible beer, <laughs> and, and so um,
0: if they could see yeah. you now, that's uh, the thing, isn't oh it? No, no no I still do it. so <laughs> I,
1: so we still like uh, it's still the ongoing joke because yeah. I I'm not the brewer at toast uh, and um, I'll uh, I'll still do the home brew uh, for our boys' weekend and um, they're just like Rob please just bring some toast with you (laughs) like why do you insist on brewing this like weird concoction that you've come up with just bring toast so the last the last trip I actually did bring a uh, a keg of toast with me and they were just like oh thank god he's finally got the point Uh so
0: So let's backtrack from before that so you so you came across this idea and you know you got involved with it and you sort of convinced Tristan to kind of take you on and and, and, uh, make you the CEO of it as it was kind of in its early stages and you were at Ashoka before which you mentioned yes. a few minutes ago so Ashoka is a support network for, so- for social enterprises, social entrepreneurs yep um, should we just start with that What? Uh, how would you describe a social entrepreneur or a social enterprise Like, yes. just people who are not familiar with that world
1: perhaps yeah 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 of course so, um, so Ashoka is credited with really coining the the phrase and the concept of social entrepreneurship, Um, the ability to combine a very innovative entrepreneurial approach to tackling a social or an environmental problem. Um, And it's not so completely sector agnostic. So there's no specific theme that a social entrepreneur would necessarily address. It can be everything from the environment to healthcare to education um, and um, also any model as well that you might want to use so a social entrepreneur will use i guess any vehicle at their disposal uh, to tackle the environmental or social problem that they're trying to address um, it might be a charity it might be a business or it might be somewhere in between and be set up as a kind of hybrid that you would typically refer to as a social enterprise, uh, a business that's primarily existing for social purposes. Um, And then the founder of Ashoka, Bill Drayton, is kind of credited with, I guess, um, I think the, the most interesting articulation of true social entrepreneurship, which is you can, it's not okay to give a fish, it's also not okay to kind of just teach a man to fish. A true social entrepreneur won't rest until they've revolutionized the entire fishing industry. (laughs) And it's kind of that systemic approach to change that a social entrepreneur will look at. Um, And that's what Ashoka focuses on, is identifying those individuals like Tristram uh, who have taken a real systems approach to a issue like food waste and has tried to tackle it and so with tristram what he was doing um, with feedback was trying to raise consumer awareness so things like um wonky and ugly fruit and vegetables that most people are now kind of fairly familiar with Uh, feedback and tristram were really part of just mainstreaming that whole concept getting consumers aware of it understanding that you have a consumer choice and you can vote with your wallet um also trying to work with big retail and make big retailers aware of this issue and do something about it get it into their corporate governance corporate policy and so big companies like Walmart and Tesco's now have food waste absolutely at the top of their agenda mm. and then also getting it into the mainstream consciousness of international government um and yeah national governments and so most national governments will have food waste as a major part of their environmental policy um and internationally food waste is a really clear part of the sustainable development goals the millennium goals that were taken forward um and um yeah so uh, that's kind of the approach ashoka would take and yeah trish i guess as an example and so toast is kind of one Part of a much more systemic approach that was kind of in Tristram's mind, um, and the part that I decided was going to be very fun uh, to (laughs) to dive into.
0: And I guess part of what you were doing at Ashoka was you were there as the support for a lot of those people, like Tristram. But you're also there as someone who's there to sort of identify and and sort of find and find the new ones to support uh, emerging social entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you learn? So you've probably been in quite a unique situation there of just having access to and spending a lot of time talking to and thinking about yep. you know, emerging social entrepreneurs and, yep. and that sort of thing. What have what did you learn about the sort of characteristics of those people as as people, yep. you know, in terms of their values and then perhaps people in terms of their skills and what were the things that you would look for if you're like looking for the next wave of, of social entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, so at God, it's like challenging myself to think back I'm so immersed in the world (laughs) of uh, you know flogging beer to a pub uh, (laughs) that it's uh, it's such a good conversation to have to kind of think back so um, when uh, when we were at Ashoka uh, it was really looking for characteristics around like leadership Um, so we kind of articulated it as uh, as also like change making and change makers and trying to characterize what is a change maker and often would be you know great leaders um but understanding leadership from all aspects uh leading from behind leading from the front you know true kind of leadership um teamwork as well uh creativity uh a real ability to um see things differently and solve problems and often uh uh yeah, a sort of a naive uh, sort of creativity as well, where you would just kind of assume there's always going to be a solution here yeah. uh, rather than just accepting uh, a problem you would just, you know, uh, refuse to accept.
0: Yeah, all those things sound like they're very uh, consistent across any yeah. kind of entrepreneurship, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, and like, so, I think, is, and so is there a bit that then, yeah, so then makes you stand out in terms yeah, so of the, social?
1: So I think the, the, the thing that really then helps stand out a social entrepreneur is a deep, authentic level of empathy, where a social entrepreneur will be so empathetic and is able to connect with people in in a yeah deep cognitive way where you can relate not just to the person across the table from you as maybe an entrepreneur would be able to make a sale on the basis of understanding the person across the table from mm-hmm. them, but a deep level of genuine authentic empathy where you actually understand... Yeah that person, where they're coming from, you understand the environment around you, you understand the consequences of your actions to people on the other side of the planet. A truly deep, connected empathy with humanity and nature and the world around us. Um, And I think that is the key distinguishing factor. Um, And there's some really interesting examples of Ashoka Fellows, actually, who also then work specifically in and around trying to nurture empathy in others so there's this lady called mary gordon uh who runs a project called roots of empathy and she's one of the most extraordinary social entrepreneurs and um individuals that ashoka has has tried to support um where she brings babies into classrooms to try and teach empathy and so the babies um parent will kind of sit in the corner and the teacher will sit in the corner and then the baby will be in the middle of maybe 20 kind of five or six-year-olds um, and there'll be somebody who will, you know, from this organization Roots of Empathy, uh, who will then I guess curate a conversation about how maybe the baby's feeling and just helping five-year-olds, six-year-olds, mm. seven-year-olds really understand feelings and if the baby's happy just asking each other how do you think the baby's feeling and yeah. if the baby's crying how do you think the baby's feeling and how do you hope that baby graham uh, will grow up and what do you think baby graham actually wants to be one day and the sort of conversation that that then opens up mm. is amazing and people kind of saying oh i think you know baby graham might want to you know grow up um and work really hard uh, in class because uh, basically they're just talking about how they're feeling as well <laughs> they're kind of yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to relate yeah, to each yeah. other and it's yeah it's really amazing you realize that the current education system doesn't do this at all it really nurtures a individual mindset mm. um, and there's some aspects of teamwork that our education system <laughs> teaches us but very little in the way of like empathy there's obviously these days certainly when I think we were at school like there's more now coming through in terms of like mindfulness coming into the classrooms Um,
0: but my my little boy goes to a very hippie school yeah and uh, they do have they have all kinds of little mechanisms to bring empathy
1: now Uh, they do yeah into the classroom and
0: one one of the things I really love they do this thing called star of the week so every kid becomes star of the week throughout the year yeah it's like 30 weeks and what they do is everybody has to spend like 10 minutes writing down why that person is a star and all the things that are great about them and stuff and you know then everybody gets a turn being that but just just that sense of kind of valuing each individual you know there's lots of things in terms of the way they do um, sort of behaviour and you know sort of management kind of stuff so they don't they don't punish people it's all about you know setting up that like, conversation saying okay so you hit this person how do you think they felt and yeah. all this kind of stuff yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so there's no punishment it's all about that kind yes. of um, what's the phrase like um, something retribution or something like where they, where it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, forgot, I I've not, forgotten what no. the no. phrase is but uh, restorative justice yeah, yes so it's yeah, like yeah, all yeah. about how you have this conversation and, and yep. kind of you know mend these these wounds in that moment rather than kind of punishing that person for hitting and, yep. blah, blah. and even asking the person who hit you know like can you explain? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why you were, did that?
0: Yep. why you were angry? So that the person who was here yeah. can kind of empathise with that too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's all—it's quite iffy but it's yeah, But it's becoming way more I think normal as well, really, and uh, it's really interesting. What it's
1: is. really important, and it's becoming so much more mainstream. I guess the whole point of school is to try and teach all of us the essential life skills. Yeah, um, and I think we're waking up to the fact that literacy and numeracy might not be the only essential life skills wow, that yeah. we need um and so it's you could uh, argue
0: there are certain uh, government ministers who are very much on the opposite side of that argument yeah a bit like, yeah yeah let's get into our politics <laughs> um so so you got into ashoka yeah. ostensibly through reed international which is kind of how we met
1: yeah, well, so, so sort of. So, but, so it was. Um, did
0: you do something in between?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, what did you do in between? N- so, Nikki and I um, got married, and we took our mega moon traveling from oh, Cape course, Town to yeah. Cairo to write a book about changemakers in Africa. Yeah. So, we kind of went through South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania, Rwanda, Kenya, Sudan, Egypt, finding kind of two to four social entrepreneurs or changemakers in each country um because through reed and how you and i kind of met well we actually met before reed but um was um to um yeah i've been living and working in tanzania um because of reed uh and had met some amazing change makers and then when nick and i got married we wanted to take this honeymoon um and yeah we turned it into a mega moon wrote this book and Half the people we wrote about were supported by Ashoka,
0: right? And so
1: I hadn't okay. really come across Ashoka, and uh, this was back in 2010 or 11. because um, I remember coming to that
0: book launch, it was a great night, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Had someone over from uh, South Africa, I think it was,
1: yeah, 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 uh, it's about rats, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's Bart, yeah, it's such a cool project, <laughs> he's an Ashoka fella, so remember. Bart, yeah, so Bart, um, is an. Ex punk rocker turned <laughs> Zen Buddhist monk who trains rats to detect landmines mm. um, and had this kind of realization. Actually, he was reading an article that Princess Diana was featured in all around landmines yeah, yeah. around sort of 20 years ago. Um, and he, as, and at the time he was kind of in product design um, in Brussels, I think he was. And was kind of dissatisfied with his job, mid-twenties, doing product design, wasn't really going anywhere. But remember that when he was a kid, um, he had rats and mice as pets at home. And he, like, bred them and sold them to his local pet shop and stuff like that. But because he had so many, like, rats at home, he knew that they had a really acute sense of smell. And this article he was reading about Princess Diana was saying that landmines are being cleared by dogs. And Bart had this weird epiphany where I was like, well, rats have a better sense of smell than dogs. And I reckon we could use those to clear landmines, as you do. So um, he then moved to Tanzania um, on the southern border with Mozambique, where there's a lot of landmines, and started training giant African-pouched rats to yeah basically do this job and apparently you can train a rat to do anything you just have to give them a banana <laughs> and um <laughs> just give them they, a banana. Live, they live this really hot like <laughs> lovely life and obviously no rats are harmed in the process yeah. so basically the rat will detect the tnt the explosive in a landmine yeah. uh, up to a meter underground wow they'll be able to scratch at the surface and once they detect it you then bring in this kind of machinery to clear the mine mm. um but yeah they're kind of cheap to keep and train And um, you can train them locally, whereas dogs, which are typically used, you have to train in the Western world, where you then fly the dog and the trainer at vast expense out to where there are landmines, much more expensive. The dog is so heavy that it also risks setting off a landmine, all these things. And he kind of realized that, yeah, he had a better solution. And that's now gone totally mainstream. And they've cleared, I mean, just a crazy amount of Mm. uh, landmines now over the last... Like sort of ten to twenty years or so. Wow. Uh, it's called a popo, and so yeah, that was one of the projects we featured in the book. And then, um,
0: and can people get the book online?
1: Yes, yes. It's called On the up Shameless plug, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, On yeah, the Yeah We'll up. put a link <laughs> in the show notes as well. So we'll and it, yeah. Um, it's um, yeah. And so through yeah. that, the fact that half the people were supported by Ashoka kind of alarm bells started going off, saying mm. this must be a really interesting yeah. organisation. So then went and knocked on the door in London when I got back. And yeah, kind of ended up um, sort of inadvertently becoming the CEO at Ashoka UK when I had no intentions of wanted to sell the book and had an amazing five years um, running Ashoka UK, but really unintended and had such itchy feet throughout to like run a project back because back doing yeah because project, I can't, and watching yeah, everybody else yeah like, I, I, I I, exactly I loved advising and yeah. providing the support for probably the first couple of years but then the sort of the back end um, my whole team could just see me getting mm, such itchy feet yeah, kind of because yeah. they could just see it all over my face <laughs> that I actually want to be doing yeah. rather than necessarily advising um, and um Yeah, but then what led to that and our connection? Yeah, through Reed. Yeah.
0: So so let's start with, let's uh, do the Reed story from, uh, I guess, from the beginning. So um, I remember, so I was running a charity called Student Volunteering England. And uh, I, so this is like this three day conference. Students come from all around the UK. It's all people who are running kind of student led projects in universities. And I was about to go to bed. It's about (laughs) 11 o'clock or something. and uh, I was so tired because these things are, you know, you're up at six and you're, you know, bed at midnight, I kind of think and um, you, like, came up to me with a little business card that you would yeah. got made or whatever and you're like, right, so Green International, there's all these textbooks um, you know, they're all going into landfill we're going to send them all over, we've hired a shipping container it's all amazing, whatever and I was like, man, who is this dude? like, <laughs> he just like, had the full-on patter, um which is very unusual, I think, for someone who's 19. Mm. Were you 19 at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Nineteen twenty, And so, like, I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And I, I think I sort of said to you, I'm I'm going to bed, but, like, let's yeah. chat. So, <laughs> so, so we ended up, like, we ended up sort of chatting a bit over that conference. And, yeah. then, um, and then I think the following year's conference, you guys, you and Nikki, yeah. your now wife, and yeah. uh, Rape, was it yeah, the yeah, three of you? Yeah, yeah, Nikki Rachel? Who were like the three friends from from Nottingham Uni? Did a kind of you did this like ten or fifteen minute presentation about Read International about the idea, and I'll I'll allow you to do this spiel and explain that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just remember there being this utter queue around the room at the end of that <laughs> half an hour showcase kind of piece of the conference. Like all these people just queuing up just to talk to you, Nikki and Rachel, and just like how can we bring this to my university? And it was like at that moment where I was like this is going to be big and this is this is just something i want to sort of be involved with so like how did you first come across that idea yeah. and and you know just the whole story of, of read internationally in nottingham and then, and then yeah yeah and yeah uk wide
1: it's um it's kind of similar to toast actually i think um there's a lot of similarities i, have, I
0: remember when you talked to talk me about toast and i was like man there's you know i remember yeah. you telling me about the books thing and you were like yeah. Uh, there's an unlimited supply of books. And then when you told me about Toto, there's an unlimited supply of bread. I was like, oh, this is all the
1: same. There (laughs) are are these kind of weird synergies. Uh, But also in the fact that I've I've definitely come to a, I get like a very healthy realisation that I'm um, a, I must be a certain type of like, or fit into a certain type of the sort of entrepreneurial kind of mould where um, I clearly don't have the best ideas but I think I'm fairly good at implementing. And so it was a friend's... And spotting
0: again, a good idea.
1: Maybe, so, yeah, maybe spotting yeah, a good that's idea. big part. Because it. it was, again, it was a friend's, like, uh, sort of, um, kind of concept at Nottingham Uni, who had been teaching in Tanzania on a gap yard um, <laughs> before, uh, in between school and university. And, um, yeah, I had sort of selfishly bummed around the world, going to kind of Thailand and Australia and doing that usual kind of brits abroad uh thing um when uh, when i was 18 had a lovely time great time uh but in hindsight could have done something way more productive and he had done something way more productive i been teaching in a school in tanzania we met at uni he said that he um wanted to uh try and support the school that he was working in and see whether he'd get a bunch of mates to try and help the school and I guess at that stage, I was kind of like, oh, wow, yeah, I'd love to go to Tanzania. And so I went out to Tanzania to try and support the school. And it all just like exploded into something so much more, I guess, exciting. Kind of saw straight away that Tanzania based its education system on the British system. Um, and UK textbooks were being discarded after a year's use, even if they were still perfectly good, because... The seventh edition maths GCSE textbook would come out, and the sixth edition was then somehow useless. But in Tanzania, where they didn't have any textbooks, surely the sixth edition produced a year ago is much, much better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of started as a bunch of mates at Nottingham Uni, contacting all the local secondary schools and collecting all their books, sorting through them. We got hold of the syllabus in Tanzania. We matched the right books to the right syllabus. Obviously, we we're trying to do it as consciously as possible and not just send, like, crap to Tanzania. Um, I remember
0: part of my spiel about it when people would ask me about that, because I then became the chair of the charity.
1: You did. We same. really roped you into yeah. uh, getting
0: involved. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great ride. I really loved it. But I remember part of my spiel was, like, we only take the books that are relevant, we, yeah. we cut out all the ones that are about squirrels and snow. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> felt yeah, like two things yeah, that are yeah. just like...
1: Probably not so relevant, yeah. So we were really disciplined in kind of sorting through the books and then as a bunch of students would kind of raise all of the funds uh, needed to then get them on a shipping container, send them over to Tanzania and then we would go out to Tanzania, help distribute the books, organise the logistics and then we even started helping to fund libraries to be created in these schools. But we kind of had this sort of concept as a bunch of mates and then realised, well, there's probably other bunches of mates at other British universities that might want to do the same and let's just replicate that concept, scale it up. So we approached it with a very open mindset and just had a very open source approach. And within then sort of like, what was it like, sort of three, four years, we had about 25 different universities involved Um Brighton were involved. Um, I remember coming down here uh, for, uh, for for that. And yeah, I would kind of dash around the country, visiting all these different universities, trying to motivate and inspire all these different university students to get up and running and kind of go and sort it. We had all this methodology. We even developed some technology in partnership with the British Library so that we could then just scan the ISBN of a book and it would tell you whether it was the right type of book or the wrong type of book. And it was all very automated um we then partnered up with this uh company called better world books where all the books that weren't right to send to tanzania we were then selling online so if it was a uh, i think at the time we used to joke about the fact that you know a sort of a tony blair biography or something yeah. is probably not that interesting to a kid in tanzania uh but you might get away with flogging it for uh, 50p in the uk um but people would probably debate whether that's even possible now and um <laughs> and so um it was a, a kind of an income generating stream, but then the journey that Reed has been on since kind of you and I were much more actively involved is like really positive and really encouraging and so it's now probably like thirteen fourteen years ago since that all began mm. um, and because it was two thousand and five when it all started, so yeah like fourteen years ago and It's now entirely based in Tanzania. There's nothing happening in the UK. We provide a bit of fundraising wherever we can, but there's a Tanzanian-based team. It's all Tanzanian university students. So um, the model completely switched where you get Tanzanian university students to volunteer their time to fundraise, um, to then buy books that are produced locally Um, and they also fundraise to create libraries in these schools. And, yeah, to date, nearly 2 million books have been donated to schools all across Tanzania. Uh, Over 150 school libraries have been created. Um, There's some incredible statistics on the impact that it's having year on year. Um, And, yeah, the university students put in place these kind of school library Prefects and committees, so that the students are really empowered to manage and maintain and run the libraries. Um, and Nikki and I still uh, get involved um, in yeah trying to fundraise and support from the UK and do as best we can. But yeah, ultimately entirely sort of Tanzanian based and led. And a really interesting aspect, I think, <coughs> of just the whole journey of like international development. Also mm, over the last yeah, fifteen yeah. years, like yeah. we, you and I, have been quite involved. I guess in that journey f- from like student partnerships worldwide. Um, through to read and both having a real interest in that area and such a yeah an interesting I think maturity of understanding from when you're kind of in your late teens early 20s to maybe like where we are now but also just how the world is matured with a much more sophisticated approach to
0: yeah Yeah, and, and a much greater focus on local Solutions and local energy to solve those problems, totally. rather than it be kind of this slightly
1: or donor-recipient or bridge, relationship you know, and, colonial yeah. type of dynamic, model. yeah.
0: Model. Um, there was a point, and my memory's going to be way more sketchy than yours, where I'd stepped down as a chair. I can't remember if I was still a trustee. I don't think I even was a trustee at that point. Yeah. But like the shit hit the fan financially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm interested in what that experience was like for you. So basically you were the really the founder of this thing, right yeah. in terms of it, you know, someone else's idea, but then you kinda of founded this charity. And then had you you'd step down.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was really So it was yeah, a,
0: were you were you then a trustee? Were you a board member then?
1: Um no, it was a really odd it was a really odd experience in a of time. So um and it was actually quite a funny, there was like a funny joke behind it all because um, <laughs> Nikki and I when so there was always this like piss take for me at uni because when I went to uni, I was, you know, um, just, you know, a bit of a, basically a bit of a dick. Like, wasn't particularly <laughs> interested in kind of anything very like social, environmental, kind of that, I think, side of me now which dominates my life. Yeah. I was so ignorant to and Nikki really was mm. and there's this like girl at uni who I massively had the hots for uh-huh. and kind of thought hmm maybe I should open up my eyes a little bit <laughs> to kind of uh, try and like build a bit more rapport with Nikki, and um, then like it became genuine and authentic and not just to impress a girl uh, but it was a really really funny dynamic because then when we got married I chose that moment as a time to also hand over Reed. Mm -hmm. And so there was just this massive piss stake at the wedding, which was like, now Rob's finally got married to Nikki. He's never going to go back to charity. He's going to be a banker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just go and like get a job at Barclays. Um, And, um, it's, um, but yeah, so we then took our mega moon to write the book and came back. And the person who was then sort of running the charity, um, who had been sort of running it for sort of 18 months or so i think stepped down i, can't, I think that's what happened uh and but it was also over the 18 months the charity had really struggled like the there was like the funding had kind of started to dry up and
0: i remember there was something to do with there was like a hole in the account so we had like these people who were sort of like the bookkeepers and it was kind of an outsourced service because we weren't big enough to have our own finance team and they'd suddenly discovered oh actually that money we were counting over here is already spent over there and it's like oh we've got this huge deficit to go I remember that and so
1: like suddenly I kind of got a phone call just sort of saying uh. Because I tried to, like, step down in a way that I was so paranoid about the whole founder syndrome that you hear all about.
0: I I was as well. And I remember we had lots of conversations sort of early on with – because I was very influenced by um, uh, the Mm. E-Myth, Michael Gerber's book, and that whole principle which I've tried to put into practice with my own company, with Think Productive, which is to sort of make myself – redundant from the operation of, yeah. of the thing you know because that's what you that's that's the best kind of leadership is yeah, yeah, yeah. not there and all that so I was probably really yeah. conscious of that and drilling that paranoia into you as yes well. um, and so I completely yeah, like I severed completely, sorry, I sort yeah. of
1: severed ties but not in a way that I wanted to in a way that I was yeah. kind of trying to do everything so by the book as to kind yeah. of like avoiding founder syndrome.
0: And it was probably helpful I think, for the people who were then taking it over.
1: Well, I, I, I think in hindsight, it probably wasn't. I think that's where there's mm. a, a funny dynamic of founder syndrome that is like unhealthy to yeah. sort of go too far yeah. because, you know, there, there was then a lack of continuity and the charity didn't have the opportunity, I don't think, to really kind of gain from, you know, I, I had been fairly instrumental in building it from scratch and all of the relationships that were important at a high level and connections from funders through to stakeholders in Tanzania um I guess I I I, I had quite close relationships with and so by stepping back as I did it was a real mistake because the charity then didn't have some of the uh, advantages of uh, the founder uh, rather than you know uh, me being so paranoid about the disadvantages and me hanging around at the board table and so yeah I got a phone call suddenly saying um, yeah we're we're gonna meet for a board. literally this is how it gonna happen it was we're gonna meet for a board meeting uh, next week and uh, on the agenda is the sort of prospect of closing the charity down I couldn't believe it I mean I was fuming for mm. one I was absolutely furious that that had happened and that I'd not been consulted until a week before, apparently it was going to be shut down. And it was this crazy realization. Went and sort of stormed into the board meeting and made sure that I was kind of there at the meeting. And basically, the board were ready to shut things down. And I just refused to allow it. And it was this weird dynamic because I was the founder, but I had no yeah. official power. It was all soft yeah. power. And so there was no official role or remit for me to have a say but thankfully the board did say okay look and it was this kind of like okay rob you've got 2 weeks and we'll convene as a board in 2 weeks time and we'll see where we get to and so at the time i was kind of ceo of ashoka and um one of my colleagues mark um just said to me and i, I sort of went back the next day and was like the weirdest thing is happening um and went back the next day and mark was just like we'll just take 2 weeks off and i'm like come on we'll be fine um and so I took 2 weeks off and just went hell for leather on fundraising reached out to all of our previous like funders and everyone i knew through reed and uh, yeah we ended up scraping together kind of i mean a good couple of hundred thousand pounds or something in a two-week period that gave us the runway to completely restructure and then that restructure was fundamentally changing the model to then be Tanzania terms- yeah. based and it was um in uh, in a way, the best thing that happened to the charity to kind of force this kind of completely fresh take.
0: But and we sort of talked. About I think it. half
1: my hair fell out. Uh, no, <laughs> Graham's looking at me with no hair now. <laughs> I think half my hair fell out that two weeks. Honestly, it was the most just times. The, time. the yeah. only time I have ever shed a tear over like something like work strategy related. I went home that night from the board meeting yeah. and um, cracked open uh, like poured myself a whiskey and like burst into tears and nikki was just like what on earth happened i was like oh like everything i've just like yeah like sort of the blood sweat and tears of the previous like five six years seven years just i just got told by this board of trustees who don't have that like Mm. i guess engagement that i've had saying that they're just going to shut it all down and um yeah it was just heart-wrenching but then applied two weeks kind of to focus on it and yeah, thankfully still going strong today. So um, now kind of six, six or seven years on, it's um, yeah, really, really flourishing and uh, yeah, going great. So it's it's amazing to see.
0: What do you think it was that got you through that two weeks? Just in Mm. terms of motivation and energy and...
1: It was so far from... um, it, It was pure unsustainable like graft it's the probably it's the it was just a bonkers two weeks where i worked like 18 hours a day like it was just absolute graft for two weeks i would like work late 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 into the night into the early morning would get up would just crack on again was making phone calls was frantic was somehow holding it together and not i don't think appearing too desperate but it was also frantic um were speaking to previous volunteers previous staff existing staff the board trying to navigate the weird dynamic that i was also in uh nikki basically uh, <laughs> kind of holding me together yeah. and kind of just being like it's like, and, and also this guy mark at work was amazing so he um, he was he was my boss but he was just so far from like a boss type character he was the European director but in such a kind of coaching collegial uh, kind of role and um, yeah he's like uh, such an amazing role model uh, to kind of just like you know just say like you know get you know in terms of your priorities this is clearly important just go away and do it like sort it out and just like apply yourself focus on it Uh, so so little methodology behind it other than just serious craft mm, for two weeks yeah, yeah
0: um so it must feel like a legacy that is still there
1: right i guess so um but i think you know a legacy that you uh share and so many of us share it's uh like so many of us were involved in helping to create read and what it is now and were then part of funding and supporting that transition. Um, it was a crazy two weeks that I was immersed in, but there was so much that came before and so much that came after yeah, sure. when I then tried to yeah. kind of I knew that for my own sanity as well, like it was it would have been far more constructive if that two weeks of like, insanity was actually put across a 10 year (laughs) period um, rather than just two and and I think we would be in a very similar situation now if that had panned out Mm. uh, but it was just two weeks of crazy hard graft so yeah really proud of the legacy um, but something that yeah loads of a share and um, yeah it's amazing to see I try to get out to Tanzania at least every uh, year or two uh, to go and uh, see how I can support and also um, go and see the the impact.
0: I still remember that amazing trip we did yeah, through the trustees, yeah, yeah, yeah. where we ended up. You know, we went, to, sort of, had dinner at the ambassador's house. Yeah, and we, were put, we we had a, an MP with us. Tom, Tom Levitt, Levitt came.
1: Yeah, um, who I was having a beer with a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, and uh,
1: I mean, we just got booted out of the Labour Party. Has it? His, what, did he vote Lib Dem or something? His claim to fame, <laughs> I think, is that he got booted out before... Um, and before Alistair Campbell. Before Alistair Campbell. Um, because, for
0: voting
1: Lib Dem or...? No, so he had actually been helping change UK. Um oh, okay. But very, like, you know, very loosely um, and got this letter <laughs> from the Labour Party. <laughs> yeah. Like, no personalisation at all. Yeah. I mean, Tom Levitt has yeah. served the Labour Party as a member of Parliament, as a very loyal... Member of the party for decades and just got such a cold letter. I mean, to be completely apolitical from it, like, yeah. you know, whatever party you're from, surely if you've served as a member of parliament,
0: yeah, yeah. it was just so cold. He was an MP for what, like 10, 15 years? Yeah, I know? think 15 he was, like, years. Douglas yeah, kind of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. number two in attachment yeah. development and stuff. Like, He was. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know. And, but also, like, you know, if love them or loathe them, members of parliament do work bloody hard do, yeah. for. Yeah. Um, For society, for uh, their communities, and and all of them, whatever
0: their party and whether you loathe them or not, yeah, um, they all think they're doing the right thing. Totally, the the country. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Questionable whether Boris does. (laughs) So, so it's kind of um, it's, uh, and then yeah, just got this letter, just like basically saying you've been kicked out i could not believe it wow. he showed it to me and i was like wow
0: <laughs> i bet that he, must i bet he's pulling that out of his jacket pocket like <laughs> just every opportunity yeah yeah like... yeah um but yeah when we went on that trip and uh i remember landing on some runway that just felt like a cattle grid you remember mm. that?
1: like just the just absolute like ridges yeah. in the yeah
0: yeah and just just crazy it just felt like there were so many kind of crazy moments of, yeah um you know walking into schools with like huge you know sort of brass bands with trumpets and wherever all i meeting us and remember those people who gave us so much honey so much embarrassing yeah i do it's like there's one village that has just this immense honey production
1: in a place called shinyanga i think yeah. And um And we
0: literally had like buckets full of amazing <laughs> honey like, and we just couldn't take it home. You I know? think it was, we like, could too yeah. much of it to, yeah. uh, to deal with I do. just being given all these like gifts it
1: was full of, uh, they filled jerry cans yeah. with honey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah, it was mad. Um so uh that's really I think um obviously you were saying that like, a legacy that a lot of people share and I guess one of those people who we've talked about other times already is Nikki. Yep. Yeah, yeah, your yep. Wife. yep. Um and so she was you know one of that that sort of initial gang with me international um you, you know you obviously wrote a book together you've been yep. kind of partners in crime ever since and um she is now launching uh, is the thing called 10 of zen is that yes. the name of yep. the, yep. Yep. the Ten of zen. kind of yep. company um and so um be interesting just for you to talk about that for a little bit and i mean that's a really interesting story of how she got into into that and thinking about mindfulness and, yep. and all of that so yeah maybe yeah
1: just tell yeah, that story. yeah oh i'd love to yeah i mean um yeah i'm one of those um sickeningly like proud husbands um <laughs> and um it's uh it's such a cool um project and concept
0: Spear's
1: going down really well it? yes it is, it is very very good uh, back to toast no so um so yeah ten, 10 of 10 it's um so it comes from a a pretty tough personal experience so we had our uh number one thomas um like five and a half years ago and um number two matty uh, is uh is two uh, two and a half now and um after thomas uh Nikki had quite a lot of like postnatal mental health uh challenges and it was all like our both of our worlds far more Nikki's world uh, was turned completely upside down um, overnight it was uh, a really um scary experience um, and uh without going into too much detail was all um yeah, really. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty horrific in, in some aspects, um, but in other ways, we're really lucky, and we've had some amazing support. Um, we were able to pay for some amazing support because the NHS, in these instances, isn't in its element. Uh, it is in its element in some in areas. Terms of things
0: like counselling and yeah, like post-traumatic you're kind stress
1: of put on a waiting to list that, yeah. to kind of you know, yeah. unless you are imminently suicidal, yeah. you're basically put on a waiting list and things like that where when it comes to quite urgent mental health problems yeah. waiting is not necessarily the yeah. best solution yeah. so anyway we we're very lucky that we we're able to afford some support and help um, and after kind of coming through some really tough times um, we, she, uh, she very much realised uh, that mindfulness was a tool that she had used consistently throughout um, that had really kind of kept her in check and as um she became healthier and healthier uh mindfulness is something that stuck with her as a tool that really got her through just as kind of now like a very regular kind of mum um dealing with the carnage and chaos of suddenly having a kid and being defined uh no longer as the individual nikki suddenly having this whole new identity which was a mother um and she's and got I think he was like
0: proper career focused before yeah yeah like, and still yeah and, well, still, right? and obviously like, still you know, is CEO and uh CEO of Red Bull Foundation yeah. and stuff like that so yeah, yeah and had yeah. you know, joined
1: the Cancer Research UK grad yeah, scheme and was like yeah, yeah. and then wrote I mean I yeah. say we co I mean she would she, listen to she, this she and she would definitely it. not say we co-wrote a book uh, she wrote a yeah. book uh that I um tried my hardest to apply my name to uh and was basically researcher in chief and networker in chief um but she is the uh uh, by far, the brains uh, behind uh, actually getting the uh, the book written, and um, it's so uh, she was never going to be someone
0: who would just be a mum and be no. just, you know, content with it just being that. Kind
1: of well, no, but then that's kind of so. I think the the realization that she's and you should you should have her uh, on the on yeah, the on the podcast because because yeah, um, sure. I think her realization was you know it is and I'll probably sound like a moron talking about it as a uh, as a man as a dad as a husband um but. She very much realised that it's yeah it's not it's not as simple it's not as black and white it's uh it's complicated it's it's full of guilt uh, motherhood mm, where yeah. you're guilty yeah. if you want to stay like at home with the kid which you do want to do or you're guilty if you want to go back to work and actually escape uh, yeah. your like identity as a mother um, you're sort of guilty that maybe your relationship dynamic has also slightly changed um, with your partner and. We, yeah, she sort of has this mantra of sort of mother, lover, leader. Um, and that sort of leader aspect that you mm. talk about, like she is really like, you know, focused, career driven, like you'd meet her and uh, she is like a very impressive uh, person that uh, has achieved a hell of a lot professionally. Um, and now and obviously the lover identity uh, in our relationship and then the sort of mother identity and just these like three different identities that she carries um, and realizing some of the complexities uh, and guilt and challenges that that brings and so she would try her hardest to give herself ten minutes of like mindfulness and just headspace every single day and um, yeah it became this kind of funny joke in the family and Thomas um, would kind of as soon as he could start speaking was like oh mommy's going to go take her sort of 10 of zen Aww. and, um, really and so then kind of like about 18 months ago uh, I guess yeah Thomas was like just turning four um, and Matty was kind of six months old or so uh, and Nikki had been using her mindfulness um, like really, every single day it was really disciplined it? and it had just helped her so much uh, that she was like maybe I'll start up a kind of 10 of Zen thing and start helping some others and mm. very organically and now it's become a really structured uh, movement for want of a better phrase where she has an amazing following of people uh, she's got thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are listening to her regular um, yeah Zenimars yeah. where she's like and she gets messages from all around the world of people saying uh, how much like her Zenimars help them where she leads a 10 minute mindfulness meditation four people every day uh, and, um, and we'll put a link
0: to the instagram in here because yeah, i'm a huge yeah, fan yeah. of nikki's yeah. instagram yeah like, yeah yeah, she yeah. she's very honest
1: and like instagram yeah. live
0: but yeah like she comes across so naturally yes on the yeah, instagram yeah, yeah. way that i'm really jealous of because whenever <laughs> i turn on like the instagram yeah. video thing i just feel like a dick so yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah i feel really unauthentic i don't feel like it's me like, yeah but she just feels like the Nikki that you would see on totally, camera when totally. the camera's on, which is a real steal. Yeah,
1: she is one hundred percent herself, yeah. and um, it's always funny because I like every sort of I don't know, like fiftieth one, you'll randomly see me like storm into yeah. the room <laughs> because I kind of like you know walked into the room or walked upstairs, and she's like right in the middle of a meditation, yeah. and then I'm like,
0: oh, oh sorry
1: <laughs> backtracking out of the room. Um, but that's
0: life, though. That's real. It's like totally. you know, there are a lot of yeah. those um, sort of yoga meditation type of brands or whatever where it does feel like you know they're sort of selling you this dream of sitting on a beach in go yeah. or something yeah, so yeah actually yeah. real life is that you might totally. just sit in the car sometimes yeah or on do, the train or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know yeah, yeah in the yeah. park and, and yep. sit on a bench or something
1: yeah so it's um yeah it's really it's really impressive how much it's grown as well and we as a family i guess like we'd saved up we had our family savings and we decided like we'd allocate some of that money to getting this sort of supporting this to get up and yeah. running and now yeah it looks like it's sort of on its path to financial sustainability as well. Uh, but Nikki's constantly challenging herself as well, like just round and round yeah, in yeah. circles in her mind as to should I be back up in London and like being the CEO of some foundation mm-hmm. or charity yeah. or like am I doing enough? And just that guilt and kind of challenge and complexity that all of us carry as to kind of what are we, you know, what are we, what what should we be doing? What could yeah. we be doing? Like is it enough? um and yeah i think she struggles with that uh more than most
0: and does it feel like i suppose it, this is maybe a good sort of final question so just a m kind of work life balance and yep. obviously you're both you know like toast is out there it's you know it, it's you know it's on that sort of trajectory to being a well-known brand yeah nikki's thing is obviously at a slightly earlier stage but also on that trajectory to becoming self-sustaining and whatever but like that growth period for any business is obviously just like a huge stress yeah like how do you guys sort of carve out the family time and the and you know the kind of um, time away from just thinking about productivity and work
1: yeah so i think um the whole work-life balance is a funny thing because obviously if you're doing work that you really love then there shouldn't be a hard line between yeah, work sure. and life um and I think you've taught me a hell of a lot. Uh, I was so lucky to have s- like you as a like, sort of a mentor and like, manager, uh, in a way, as chair of the charity. You were the closest thing I had to a, a manager or a role model or someone to look up to, um, to teach me so much when it came to productivity. And this was before even like you were focused heavily on productivity. Yeah, you, were productivity industry, yeah. you were just basically yeah, the, the most productive yeah. like, geek I possibly knew and I remember having oh, thanks, I remember, um no it was just so funny, I just remember like you having these folders and files <laughs> and you were so organised and I was just like oh my god and you were kind of talking about getting inboxes to zero when inboxes had basically only just started and I was just like how, and yeah learning so much from you about I guess productivity that I feel like very productive actually and um it means that I can I think Compartmentalize kind of work uh, relatively efficiently. Yeah. So that my typical day is like I pretty much work seven to seven, um, and then I'm pretty much like family seven to seven um which uh means some that sleep
0: in there somewhere probably well
1: yeah but you know like i'm basically like i'll be like obviously like up with the kids try and have breakfast uh, yeah. with the kids every day and try and get back for bath time bedtime every single day um and then all weekend definitely like with family nikki like every the ongoing theme uh and uh, is tongue-in-cheek but it's sort of semi-serious every kind of six to 12 months basically threatens to divorce me unless I pull my finger out and spend Uh a bit more focused time on the family. I've got to remember the fact that, you know, uh, date night used to be a thing. Let's make sure we actually like maintain that focus on that, keep that. Um, and so, yeah, I think just really trying to concentrate and focus on a very healthy, yeah, balance and, um, feel quite fortunate and blessed and lucky that, um, Life on the whole is fairly balanced. Um, with Toast, we launched in the US two years ago. Uh, we launched on the Fourth of July, which we thought was hilarious <laughs> as a British company, <laughs> being like, "We're back!" Um, and um, and that's... I we just had tea,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And we um, uh, so I have to go over to, to New York, and again, like when when Nikki and I were first dating mm. hey, in our like early twenties. If I thought that like, in my 30s, I'd be, you know, traveling to New York on work. Thinking, That's so cool. It's and so like awesome. Family, That's yeah. so epic. Uh, now, <laughs> with a family and stuff, it's just like so not ideal <laughs> whatsoever. But I'm in New York every couple of months. Um, we've also launched a beer in South Africa, in Brazil, in Iceland, in Ireland. Um, it's brewed under license in all those places. We get demand from all over the world. We've just done a collaboration brew in Australia. And so... I do have to consciously be very careful to get that balance right. And Nikki's very good at holding me to account on it probably better than I am at holding myself to account on it <laughs> like you know like cuz we do have a very healthy relationship she very is very diplomatic
0: she's, right? no it is
1: honestly <laughs> but in a like genuinely in a very healthy relationship yeah, way nice. like we can be brutally honest with each other and she you know Nikki well enough she'll be brutally honest with me um, and just say it as it is and so that then allows me to kind of realize okay yeah I've got to find that that balance and she can see it as well like she she'll also kind of see me hitting a phase a bit like that read sort of phase yeah, for two weeks yeah she'll see me hitting a phase or if I'm like in the middle of a phase, which I think I am probably guilty of doing where I'll just be so immersed for a couple of weeks and I'll come out the end of it. And she'll just say, Rob, like you'd completely zoned out by the way for like two mm, weeks. Right. It's really inter- yeah. interesting, insight. I, I never quite reflect and notice mm. it off myself when I'm in the middle of it, but she will be like, yeah, Rob, like you've basically completely gone a distant and you were yeah. just so immersed yeah. in work. And so, yeah, more to do to I think strike a uh, healthier balance. But um, given the beer, I'm trying my hardest uh, to use exercise uh, as uh, as the as the way to uh, uh, to uh, to find a healthier uh, balance as well. Uh, I've sort of got a team of like uh, you know sort of young twenty year olds, twenty um, somethings. Uh, who all have like unbelievably impressive kind of diets you know the millennial yeah, sort of thing right. like, these yeah. amazing diets and so they they're all can, down the gym every they single day basically
0: drink every, every day yeah, if they want yeah, to yeah. but like...
1: also they kind of would consciously not and we yeah, don't yeah. encourage uh, yeah. that at all obviously <laughs> we say bread shouldn't be wasted and neither should you uh, drink responsibly <laughs> yeah. and um, it's uh, it's amazing that kind of uh, inspiration as well from the team yeah. who are so like focused on their health the next generation so health conscious it's a real inspiration to make sure that yeah we focus on that especially in the world of beer
0: that feels like a really good uh place to finish up um so if you want to go and check out some toast beer yes if people want to go and uh sort of connect with uh with toast and what you guys are doing just uh give us the give us the
1: uh, yeah 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 yeah. yeah so at Toast Ale is where you'll find us on all our social media, toastale.com. And we do have a web shop. And um, now that we are all busy mates uh, over uh, uh, this podcast, um, if you put I Know Rob into the uh, (laughs) discount code uh, on on the box, you'll get a a nice little discount uh, surprise. Uh, So why don't you put I Know Rob into the uh, website shop and uh, enjoy some beers
0: nice and i just funded your kickstarter for putting toast you in cans, did so you total legend i'm looking forward to like a big consignment of uh, <laughs> toasted cans i
1: know yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah we just launched cans for the first time yeah. it's um it's very exciting it's uh, one of those things that it would have launched like three years ago instead of three and a half years ago we'd have probably launched with cans mm-hmm. the market completely yeah, shifted did, just yeah. as we launched yeah, um and uh, yeah we're now busy playing catch up
0: cool Um, so we're gonna go and find some beer somewhere else bloody right and uh, grab a pint before you get the train back to london yep Uh, rob thanks for being on beyond busy absolute
1: pleasure thank you graham
0: So thanks again to Rob for being on the show. Thanks also to Mark Stedman, my my producer from Podient, And uh, also thanks to Think Productive, who are our sponsors for the show. So if you are interested in how to be a productivity ninja... If you're interested in helping your team to be more productive and less stressed, then we can help. Thinkproductive.com. You'll find out all the details about how you can bring us in and we can run some workshops that will really transform how your team thinks about productivity. Um, one other thing to mention, actually, which is my book Work Workfuel, um, which came out a little while ago. So this is a book where... Basically, myself and Colette Hennigan, who's a nutritionist and has also been on this podcast before. You can check out that episode. Uh, we talk about all the ways to eat to have better energy. And um, I did something that I don't usually do the other day, which is I went and read the Amazon reviews. And so far, they're all five star. And honestly, it made me well up a little bit. There's a couple of comments in there of like... This book has changed my life. Um, I've really implemented so many things from this book that I've got loads more energy and feel loads better. And it was just like, wow, you know, all those months of just kind of sitting in the shed, typing away and being on WhatsApp calls with Colette and all the rest of it. It's like, this is what it's for. You know, this is actually out there in the world changing some lives and, and uh, you know, really helping people. So I'm really delighted about that. And um, yeah, would love to hear your stories about that as well. So if you've read WorkFuel, uh, give me a shout on Instagram, just at Graham Alcott, or you can email me, graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. Would love to hear your stories about that. And if you've not gone and read it yet, please go and buy a copy of WorkFuel and uh, please buy it, read it, and then let me know what you think. Because I think it's one of those that... Um, I've had some good publicity for it, but I think it really needs a bit more of a kind of push out there into the world, if I'm honest, and um, I'm going to really try and uh, do my best to promote it over the the kind of autumn winter period, because it really feels like it's hitting a spot with people. And I really want to get that message out even more. So um, spread the word about Work Fuel, and I'll be entirely grateful for that. Um, I'm going to be back in two weeks time. I am currently, as I record this, kind of offline on summer break, uh, trying to not be uh, too attached to email and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. I've kind of removed myself from Twitter these days, uh, and just kind of keeping, just keeping myself on the down low away from social media. So, um, uh, if you want to get hold of me, then, uh, do drop me an email at Graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. But it might be a little while before I respond and I make no apology for that. Um, so on a similar theme, uh, give yourself the permission, the permission to switch off properly over the next, uh, couple of weeks. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer and i'll see you for the next episode in two weeks time so until then take care bye for now